Truth Espresso, episode 114. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. there. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Truth Espresso. I am your host, Daniel Minnick, and we are closing out a mini-series within our series about marriage. This mini-series is a book review. We are reviewing the book Created to Be His Helpmeet by Debbie Pearl. And so two episodes ago, we started the review and looked at Debbie Pearl's story about how she met her husband, some of our concerns about that, and a goofy little trash can story. We don't believe really brought home the positive point that we think she was trying to bring with that. And then the last episode, we looked at more in depth Debbie Pearl's understanding of a relationship between husband and wife and how much she believes that a wife is supposed to submit to a husband in less than ideal situations and that she believes that a glorious marriage seems to fall entirely on the lap of the wife. The wife has the power to make a marriage glorious within her own actions and she bears the entire responsibility for what her husband does and my wife and I don't quite agree with that and so this episode as we said we're going down the rabbit hole of just how far the pearls teachings go in this book and even outside this book they have written quite a few other books and articles and so we'll look at a little bit to see some of the very deep and strange and dark things that they're going to address and here once again to talk with me and discuss this book created to be his help me by debbie pearl is my very own sweet beautiful wife chelsea and so chelsea sweetheart welcome back to truth espresso again hey thanks for having me on here to discuss this book and just have some fun with it i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah and <laughs> And I hope you're having fun with this, sweetheart, as much as it can be a little bit of difficulty to have legitimate fun with it, like really enjoyable fun. But, you know, I think it is enjoyable to try to speak to the truth and to have a little bit of discernment when it comes to things like this, because we sincerely believe that although the book can have some positive things. There is just simply not enough there to warrant this book any kind of recommendation because <laughs> we sincerely see a lot of problems in this book. And when I say problems, I don't mean nitty, gritty little things. We mean big problems. <laughs> and I hope that if you've been listening to the last two episodes, you will see with us that some of the suggestions in this book are not biblical, don't reflect God's ideal for marriage and a marriage is between a husband and a wife two people a marriage is not maintained controlled or idealized under the power of any one of them it takes two to tango and so it is not within the power of the wife alone to have a heavenly marriage as debbie promises so I'd like to talk a little bit about that concept and some quotes from this book about what we were talking about before we started reviewing this book. The idea that marriage is one flesh, the two become one, and emphasis on 
two there. And so, sweetheart, ready to talk about Contra the Pearls, <laughs> Contra this book, how the Bible explains marriage as involving the two, that marriage is mutually husband and wife, and that it cannot work out properly unless both are fulfilling God's design for marriage. <laughs> yes, I am ready to take this on with you. Oh, well, here we go. Let's take it on. <laughs> so, as I have read in the Bible the marriage passages in Peter and in Paul's epistles, never do you really see one of them in isolation. Paul never wrote, as I said before, an epistle to husbands and a separate epistle to wives. They are always addressed together because it takes husbands loving wives and wives submitting to husbands and both submitting to each other, as the Apostle Paul says, both together to make a heavenly marriage, Debbie. A wife submitting to her husband goes with the husband loving his wife. If the husband loves his wife, cares about his wife, cares about her needs, gets to know his wife intimately according to, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, that makes him someone worthy and someone who a wife can submit to. <laughs> Would you agree, sweetheart? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I agree with that. I think that kind of how you're talking about how it's kind of both sides of the marriage. It takes the husband and the wife and yes. not necessarily that it's totally dependent on the husband being respectable, but the mm -hmm. wife understanding like, okay, I'm going to respect my husband because I love him. Mm -hmm. And the husband is like, I'm going to love my wife because I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that it shouldn't be... I will only respect you if you love me. Oh, it shouldn't yeah. be that. There's balance there. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the pearls, they tend to take it as a, <laughs> like, you have to respect your husband no matter what to an mm. extreme. Yes. And I think what you're saying is in scripture here, we're seeing that, no, it's actually both of you doing your part and coming together. Yes. And of course, there are cases where there are, you know, the husband is abusive or mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe the wife has issues. I mean, there are circumstances where that doesn't apply, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah, for certain. Like when I'm talking about that, it takes two. I'm not saying this is what all marriages are, you know, <laughs> and I'm not saying you cannot have a marriage unless both are like the perfect examples of saints you know what i'm saying is that when the scriptures give the commands it is with the ideal with which god has designed marriage that when paul says wives submit to your husbands it's taken in the same context as husbands love your wives and these are written to the church and the way God designed marriage, the two becoming one, we need to look at marriage through the lens of the way God intended it, designed it. So when we have these commands, it's not, we don't think in terms of, okay, here's an ogre husband who treats his wife like a piece of property. Now, let's talk to the wives. Wives, submit to your husband. <laughs> you know, it, it, they're not commands that are so separate from each other that they can function properly as if the other command doesn't exist. I think that's the point that I was uh, trying to get at. A wife is enabled to submit to a husband who loves her and vice versa. A husband can love a wife who, you know, desires to enable him for success. And I believe that biblically submission is not defined as a king and a subject, especially the word itself means a voluntary placing under. And the example of that, as I've actually taught in a Sunday school, the example of when a wife, you know, as the command to submit, there's like like an equality there, and then you intentionally, voluntarily place yourself under for the purpose of glorifying the other. And the example that is in 
Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. This is Paul's example of how we in the body of Christ put each other's needs above our own. And that's what submission is. It isn't like an inequality. It isn't an underling. And as I said, king and subject here. This is uh, someone who has power placing himself under to accomplish a mission. So that's what the submission as Paul is talking to and Peter's talking to for wives, it's a power that they possess that they voluntarily exercise there for the sake of their husband and even themselves. This made me think of a question for you. Okay. (laughs) I'll try to answer it. (laughs) Okay. On the spot here. (laughs) Oh, yikes. Love those kind of on the spot questions. (laughs) So I was thinking through when you're mentioning the verses about how, okay, they always come with husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and then the wives submit to your husbands. So since he always says like husband loves your wife first mm-hmm. and then wives submit to your husband, yes, is that kind of a way that we could understand that if your husband is loving you, mm. you can submit to him. But if your husband's not loving you, like he's beating you up he's Mm. putting you down he's you know treating you like trash then does that make you not bound to have to love him (laughs) well i mean i guess there's different ways to express love you know there could be tough love (laughs) Mm. you know like the most loving thing uh, a wife in that situation might do you know is to call the authorities and you know he he might need that kind of legal help to get him you know on the right track if that's possible but you know say if a an abusive husband has to go to jail you know i would think that would be the most loving <laughs> or submissive thing that a wife could do <laughs> you know it, she doesn't have to be his whipping boy or girl you know (laughs) like you know we need to understand love from the perspective of the bible that goes beyond surface level things and what might be for someone's well-being is corrective measures from the law you know (laughs) at least that's my on the spot answer (laughs) i could be totally off base here but (laughs) Uh yeah well i was thinking too like the pearls in their book seem to make those verses almost like an absolute. Oh, yeah. So the woman has to submit to the husband no matter what. Yeah. And that's when we see some of these contradictions that we're going to discuss later on mm. about an abusive husband or an abusive spouse and do you still have to submit to them to the extent of putting up and just like taking the beatings Mm -hmm. and so i'm just thinking like okay if paul is saying like okay we need to husbands love your wives and then they submit to you it's that package deal Mm -hmm. and if the husband is not doing his part then is the wife still responsible and still obligated to respect the husband to that same extent yeah it seems like (laughs) that wouldn't be the case because then if the husband's not showing christ's love to his wife and he's like harming her then we have a bunch of other scriptures that kind of tell us more how to deal with that type of person situation Yes, exactly. And let's not forget marriage vows. You know, it's vows that the husband and wife, when they got married, took together. And so I would think that it would be the duty of the wife to hold the husband responsible to carry out his vow. I mean, we're talking about biblical commands here. Jesus himself said, swear not at all, you know, and the whole purpose of taking the wedding vows is your word is your bond. And so it is a two-ness there. And so I don't see how biblically the wife should submit to a husband in ways that where he is guilty of violating God's commands in marriage too, as there's a wedding vow and God's design for marriage. Like, 
<laughs> I think Debbie Pearl takes, let's see, what verse is it out of context? For First Peter 3, you know, referring to the unbelieving husband that where she says, you know, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wife. And so she really emphasized, I mean, this is a major point in her book, without the word, you know, she takes that as a serious part of how the wife is supposed to handle everything from the husband that she cannot be the husband's conscience. She cannot tell him when he's wrong. She can only by her actions. And I think Peter is talking about like, if your word does not convince him because he's an unbeliever, then perhaps your conduct might soften him. As I'll mention later, there's a difference between an unbelieving husband and an abusive husband. And it seems that the pearls conflate the two. Like they'll use that verse, you know, if the husband is an unbeliever and the wife trying to win him without the word and through her conduct, that they conflate that with an abusive husband harming her and her children. And I don't think that's what Peter had in mind when he talked about the wife through her conduct and without the word, which I don't think it means like you must avoid the word. You must avoid telling him where he's wrong. She's basically saying, you know, if your use of the word because he doesn't respect your newfound faith and, you know, if she gets converted that, you know, perhaps he, if he won't listen to the word, then your next best thing is your Christian conduct that could win him. I don't think Peter was intending, you know, here's an abusive, unbelieving husband, you know, and you are forbidden wives from telling him whenever he's wrong and by putting on that smile and acting all cheerful when you're hurting inside, that is your only possible way to resolve the issues. Now, so we've talked about the two becoming one flesh. That's God's design for marriage. What does Debbie Pearl say on page 54 of Created to Be His Help Me? She says, quote, Note that what God commands a woman to do does not hinge on the man loving his wife as Christ loved the church, unquote. Well, I beg to differ because, as I said, marriage is two, and all the commands to husbands and wives go together. And so I don't see where God takes all the commands to the wife in isolation from the commands to the husband, because marriage, as the Apostle Paul says, is a mystery, speaking of Christ and the church. And I don't think Christ, who bought the church with his blood, can be pictured by an abusive husband treating his wife as a piece of property. <laughs> so, now let's talk about the way Debbie Pearl believes that the wife should treat intimacy. <laughs> Just a little bit about that. And this is part of the, the context of how marriage is two. The two become one flesh, but Debbie seems to make the one flesh <laughs> the husband in this matter. <laughs> you know, and we believe that intimacy in marriage is best when it's in the context of both enjoying it. If one is not enjoying it, that reflects ultimately on the other. And so Debbie Pearl says on page 168, she's talking, of course, to the wives, as she does with her book, quote, it is your duty to fulfill his needs for intimacy. So <laughs> I know there's a context there, but definitely, you know, she's acting like it is the wife's duty whenever the husband wants intimacy. It is the duty of the wife always to give it without exceptions, without any kind of objection or even can we please put it off to tomorrow? I, I can't even stay awake, you know, suffering, you know, that that's totally totally irrelevant to Debbie Pearl because she thinks that intimacy for a wife is not intended necessarily for the wife to think that she has any part in enjoying it. Her enjoyment is by treating it as a ministry to her husband. <laughs> and basically, she explains that the husband has an incredible, oft 
need for intimacy from his wife. And of course, if the wife doesn't provide it whenever he needs it, then he just might go looking for another woman. And it's the wife's fault, of course, you know. So, And then somehow, if she provides intimacy for the husband every time he needs it, that will sufficiently keep him faithful. But, you know, my problem with that is, once again, as we talked about in the previous episodes, it seems to treat men as apes, as ogres, as brute beasts, animals who are incapable of <laughs> maintaining their base impulses or their needs or the desires or being able to sacrifice for the sake of other people like their wife. And do you have anything to say about this, sweetheart? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, Where do we start? (laughs) Yes. I don't know. I think this part was a little bit frustrating. Mm. So I was watching a short YouTube video clip that I saw Debbie Pearl and Michael Pearl just Mm. talking through a letter that they received. And it was about a wife who was trying to figure out how to manage time with her husband and her husband kept missing her son's baseball games and then she didn't want to be intimate with her husband and so the Pearl's advice was that they needed to send someone else to their kids' games so that way they would have time for intimacy at home whenever the husband needed it. Mm. So like don't even think about your kids' baseball games because if your husband needs to have his fleshly or, you know, like <laughs> yeah. have his desires fulfilled at that yeah. time, then you need to be available and ready. Mm. And what if he's at work, you know, in the <laughs> middle of the day, you know, I mean, come on, like there's got to be some responsibility if the husband can maintain, you know, his emotions or, his, you know, be proper for his job. You think like, you know, it's totally possible that, you know, he could have that need happen in the middle of the day. Is it, you know, what, he's got to call his wife over, you know? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but if he can somehow, for the sake of his job, can manage to make it through a full day of work there without having to call his wife over to, you know, he can handle himself at other times for the sake of his wife. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) I mean, let's be consistent here. Mm. Like, is he really just an animal that he can't do a full day's work? But if he can, he can help his wife with the dishes. You know, I don't care what desire he has at one point. He can help his wife with the dishes. He can help his wife with the kids. He can respect his wife when, if she's tired or, you know, in pain or whatever like that. Man, you're capable, okay? And Debbie, you need to understand that. (laughs) Yes. And so my other problem with her thinking and having to be constantly ready to meet a man's needs as well is that she assumes a couple different things. She assumes that men, like you said, have a strong desire for intimacy, almost a limitless (laughs) (laughs) desire. And that's not true for all men. Mm. And it's going to be different for each man. And it can be different seasons and like different things that are going on. It can be so different. So it just assumes a lot. And then also she assumes a lot for the women. She made a statement in her book to something to the extent of that for the most part, women have pretty much the same desire for intimacy. Like there isn't any variation in women. And that Mm. is totally untrue too, because women have such different ranges of hormone levels. Mm. And again, like different stages of life. Well, you recently had a child and you're breastfeeding, your hormones Mm. are kind of crazy. And I mean, there's so many different aspects that you have to consider. And to me, that's where First Corinthians 7 comes into play. Mm-hmm. And these conversations need to be between your husband and you, like talking about mm-hmm. what's going on, talking about how your day was. Do you even have the energy to be intimate that night? Like, 
I think there's so much that goes on before the actual act of intimacy that will help each other grow together Mm. and even have a better relationship when you're communicating with each other and saying like, okay, this isn't a good time or, you know, this happened and you just really need to come together and talk about it. And it shouldn't be involving other people, these conversations, it shouldn't be comparing like what other people find helpful for intimacy i think paul says it needs to be between the husband and wife there with consent and you know and first corinthians 7 seems to leave much to be desired when it comes to debbie's understanding it's not one-sided it's mutual there the husband does not have power over his own body but the wife and the wife does not have power over her own body but the husband the two go together there and then concerning this whole issue what about before a husband is married i mean a, a man is married if he's capable i'm sure the pearls don't believe that a teenage boy has to be free to as, as, as the expression is so is wild oats <laughs> I mean, you know, they would instruct boys, teenage boys, to remain pure until they're in a committed marriage relationship. So that does indicate that men are capable of managing their desires because that is God's instructions. They have to be able to, just like they have to be able to maintain their emotions and their, you know, anger management and all that. And so if a young man can remain pure until marriage, he can respect his wife and her needs. You know, he doesn't instantly become an animal then when he gets married. (laughs) Okay, so... Continuing this topic, on page 170, Debbie talks about the issue of menopause. And so in her idea that the wife must be fully committed to meeting the husband's need for intimacy at any time, any I I would assume if it's at any time he needs, would it be any place, anywhere? I mean, obviously there are limits there. She has to recognize that, you know, they're out at a restaurant and, you know, I mean, it's obvious that even she has to recognize that there's some moments where, you know, like, oh, do they have to get up and not pay the check and run home? You know, like I know you got to think of the absurd here to be consistent but okay so (laughs) when it comes to menopause here on page 170 debbie says quote don't talk to me about menopause i know all about menopause and it is a lame excuse don't talk to me about how comfortable or painful it is for you do you think your body is special and has special needs Do you know who created you and do you know he is the same God who expects you to freely give intimacy to your husband? Stop the excuses. Determine to find a way past your excuses, and that word is in quotes, and provide the pleasure your husband wants only from you, unquote. Because in Debbie's mind here, you know, the husband wants it only from his wife, somehow, if she's able to meet it perfectly in on demand anytime he wants it and if there's any lack thereof he will surely seek it from another woman and it's her fault of course but so sweetheart do you have anything to say i mean you're a medical professional here what about menopause and do you have anything to say about this idea should a wife just endure the pain of it for the sake of her husband or is there a better way to deal with intimacy which the term would imply a mutual (laughs) agreement you know and and mutual benefit here (laughs) yes i think you hit it right on the head there that it's a mutual agreement and one of my pet peeves with that part is that she's limiting the situation to just menopause because there are different stages throughout a woman's life that her hormone levels can be different like i briefly mentioned earlier when you're breastfeeding that changes your hormone levels and intimacy can be a little more uncomfortable because you're not having the same release of hormones as you would when you're not breastfeeding. 
And same with menopause, there's different levels of hormones there that can contribute to intimacy being more uncomfortable. Even simple as a bladder infection can make intimacy Mm. less comfortable. So I think just, again, really communicating with your spouse if there's something going on or, you know, this isn't feeling right or just having that open communication and then figuring out like, okay, is this something I need to go get a medication for? Is this something that I can treat at home? Or is it something that, you know, we just need to figure out different things to try ourselves? Like Mm -hmm. there's a whole array of different things that you can try and do. But again, that the point is coming together and talking about it, communicating about it and having the ability for the wife to actually say no is Mm -hmm huge and extremely important because otherwise the way they're presenting that relationship is actually abusive. And I think there's a part to where Debbie Pearl actually says that a lack of desire to be intimate is actually sin. Mm. She actually quotes, hopefully you didn't realize that your lack of interest in your husband was sin, but you now know (laughs) that, uh, is nowhere in the Bible that says having a lack or having the ability to say, no, this isn't working right now. That is not sin. That is actually being mindful of you, being mindful of your spouse. And that's what God calls us to do. And yes, but just, uh, yeah. In summary, if there (laughs) is discomfort with intimacy, just making sure that you have that voice and you speak out about it because there are a lot of women that are afraid to or don't Mm. realize they should. Yes. And there's a lot of help out there that you can get. So So you're saying that the wife should feel comfortable with voicing her concerns to her husband. Imagine that, you know, (laughs) my favorite verse, you know, to address a lot of these issues with Debbie Pearl's understanding of a wife's duties is, of course, to look at Peter's admonition to husbands when he says, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, understanding the wife, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, dwelling with her according to knowledge. It means that the husband has to understand her needs, and this can certainly be one of them. Um, how do you be heirs together of the grace of life if you don't communicate and you don't understand, especially husbands, understanding their wives' needs? And if necessary, as you communicate and have awareness here, you know, as you said, they can seek treatment to help with menopause so that intimacy can be possibly more enjoyable than just the wife having to imagine that it would be because she's thinking, oh, Oh, it would be so wonderful, you know, because my husband loves me when we're intimate and this is how I please him. And so just trying to psych herself up in that and endure the pain. Like there's nothing biblical about a wife having to endure pain to please her husband in this way. You know, the Bible in no way treats intimacy as a one-sided experience. Ah, yeah. This brings up, of course, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5, which the Apostle Paul, talking about marriage and that mutuality, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, which I remember reading that Debbie Pearl quoted that, and she has the ellipses, of course, any time where it talks about the husband's duty to the wife. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also, likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. (laughs) And this seems like a justifiable reason, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency." So it seems like if there is anything that would inhibit intimacy, like, for instance, menopause, 
and issues associated with that, then the husband and wife, as Paul is drawing them mutually together, that the husband doesn't have power over his body, but the wife, you know, the wife has power over the husband's body, you know, in this mutual fashion. So the husband isn't just some animal that's got to satisfy his need for intimacy. The wife has power over that and they can go for a time without it if by consent. And I think this is a justifiable reason for consent because for intimacy to be mutual it should be enjoyable by both (laughs) in the marriage and just a little plug-in for something that i really (laughs) like about fertility awareness teaching Mm. is that really involves the spouse in understanding how the woman's body works and the different cycles and hormones and just seeing how that can vary throughout the month And so fertility awareness just helps both of the couples like learn more about what's going on. And again, kind of like that knowledge piece that you're mentioning in First Peter, Hmm. just knowing and understanding your wife better about the different cycles throughout a month and what the hormones do and Hmm. what the body does. And so I think that's another piece that can help draw the couple together as well and understanding each other. Yes. So here's an exercise in thought here to see how, if I were to write a letter to Debbie, like she gets letters and she answers, I'm curious to see how she would answer this kind of question. Since Debbie treats the idea that the husband has this need for intimacy that the wife must meet all the time, and if the wife doesn't meet all of his need for intimacy, he just might seek another woman to fulfill the rest of it, and it's her fault. Here's the question. What if the wife is somehow handicapped or paralyzed? (laughs) Just think, what if through no fault of her own, some drunk driver hits her when she's running an errand and because of an accident, she ends up in the hospital and she has to be there for weeks or whatever? What if she's paralyzed? What if in some way she is rendered physically incapable of intimate activities? And the husband, you know, (laughs) without deference to his poor wife, has this insatiable need for intimacy. Is she still responsible for fulfilling her husband's needs here? Is he hopelessly driven to find another woman to make up the slack here that she's not physically capable of delivering? And is his handicapped or paralyzed wife at fault for this? (laughs) I would hope that she would say no. But then what is her answer for the idea that if he can't get his (laughs) unrelenting need met... That he's going to seek for it in another woman. Is he somehow free to do this with God's permission? Or if not, is he capable of handling it for the sake of his wife who's just been physically handicapped and, you know, whether temporarily or permanently? (laughs) Would it be her fault or okay? The onus is on him to fulfill his duty as a husband and take care of her. And as the Apostle Paul talks about, there are some people who have to be virgins for life. You know, it's due to the commitment of the husband in marriage to having to hold through sickness and health or, you know, handicappedness. He should, he is obligated and he should be able to handle himself from that point forward in his vow, in his commitment. Um, What do you think, sweetheart? (laughs) Is this a good question to ask in light of what Debbie Pearl has just explained about the husband's need and the wife's obligation? Yeah, that. Definitely an interesting question that (laughs) could be posed. And yeah, I think, again, it's just such a huge topic of just being on common ground with one another Mm. and um, that you love each other enough to put each other's needs above your own. And that situation (laughs) would definitely warrant that. And I would think that, you know, the husband would be praised even more because 
he <laughs> is putting his wife above himself and above his needs. Mm. But I just find it interesting too that if how it's the wife's fault if the husband is not getting his needs met and he looks elsewhere because in scripture it's very clear in Matthew even mm. When Jesus is telling his disciples, whoever looks on a woman with mm. lust has committed adultery in his heart. A husband shouldn't even be looking at another wife, mm. even in that situation of his wife having um, disabilities like that, because he would be committing adultery and that would be sin. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure like why the responsibility is on the wife, for one, because the mm. husband has that choice himself but also the husband and wife should again be that team and yeah they should be helping each other not fall into sin and if that's a, going to be an issue then they can discuss like other ways to help that situation yeah exactly <laughs> sweetheart i mean at some point you know i know debbie's book is written to wives so she obviously believes that husbands have responsibility but her book written to wives is all about somehow the wives duty isolated from the whole of god's design in marriage but at some point with an example like this you have to recognize Okay, if this is an example, a possibility here, it does recognize that, hey, the wife isn't 100% responsible for the husband's conduct here. At some point, you have to be able to say, okay, the husband has to be able to control himself, period. And if he can control himself in this situation, it's no different from if the wife is not handicapped <laughs> and he's able to control himself then too and it's not the fault of the wife if the husband doesn't fulfill his duties period so to finish up this episode let's go to uh i think the darkest <laughs> um discussions of <laughs> the pearls here let's end this episode with a bang <laughs> So, in an article, it's not in this book, but this is from the same uh, great minds behind <laughs> the book created to be his helpmeet. This is an article by Debbie Pearl, and, well, just like in the book, Michael Pearl does write some stuff toward the end of it, too. Uh, he does chime in, and Michael Pearl chimes in on this article. And so this article is on NoGreaterJoy.org, their website, and the article is entitled Abusive Husband. And the premise from Debbie Pearl is that divorce is absolutely never an option, no matter what. Even in the case of an abusive husband that can be physically violent toward her and her children, so, starting off, she, of course, uses 1 Peter 3. She says, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, tells us how to win our unbelieving husband. And this is in the context of an abusive unbelieving husband. One who threatens violence or threatens to commit a crime here. And the emphasis is on, you don't use the word. They may, without the word, be won by the conduct of their wives. But I would like to point out, as I did before, there is a difference between an unbelieving husband and an abusive husband, because I don't believe that Peter, when he wrote this, had in mind the idea that a wife is going to win her abusive husband by just her conduct and always praising him when he's abusive to her, because that doesn't help him see the error of his ways. Yeah, so before we get in really the meat of this article, sweetheart, do you have anything to say about that at all? <laughs> so I think this is a great topic to bring up because I know we were kind of briefly looking at some statistics about how intimate partner violence or... Oh, is this about how basically the psychology of an abuser is not that he's going to change his ways if she smiles at him? You know, like an abusive husband, someone who has maybe he comes from an abusive household and it's kind of in his psychology then to be abusive 
toward others and if he continues to be abusive it's not that he's going to be changed or corrected by smiles and stuff he wants to see her broken and crying and begging for mercy type of thing you know like that's the psychology of an abusive husband is not that he can be cured by a smile or by thank you for all that you do for me you know stuff like that he's looking for her to be subjected to fear that's what he feeds off of is fear Mm -hmm. and so if she smiles it might provoke him to keep yelling and pounding and threatening more because he wants to see the fear in her face (laughs) yeah and i was thinking also just statistically how the number of domestic violent cases have gone up so much with the covid Mm -hmm. last year and just the increased isolation and stress that's going on inside the family and that this is such a huge topic to talk about and just be aware of what exactly do you do in that situation are you obligated to try and stay in that situation and work it out like in kind of seeing how the pearls respond to this (laughs) is quite eye-opening to where they come from (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so basically, Debbie Pearl suggests that if he's threatening her and the kids, she lovingly warns him that if he does it again, she'll contact the police. And I don't think there's an again here and waiting for the next event, because I would think that the abusive husband might try to prepare for that next time and prevent her from being able to do that. But so when it happens, they suggest correctly that she should testify against him in court but she still should be thinking about backing him in any way possible while testifying against him and then when he's in jail this part of the article michael pearl chimes in and he says quote think about it lady it is a great time for writing love letters and sharing a three-minute romantic phone call once a week So he's talking about when the abusive husband goes to jail. So she testifies him in court. He ends up in jail. And he's talking about it's a great time for writing love letters and sharing those romantic (laughs) phone calls that he, you know, is entitled to do when he's in prison. A three-minute romantic phone call once a week. (laughs) So he continues... Quote, guys who get out of prison run straight home to their ladies and treat them wonderfully, for a while anyway, unquote. Well, you know, I would say that often men who are in prison for a while from a crime are abused, you know, they face their own abuse, which can make their psychological situation even worse. So often men who go to prison end up worse (laughs) than when they were before prison. And I don't think they're going to treat their lady wonderfully once they get home out of being in prison for 20 to 30 years, as the uh, Pearl suggests here. So then what happens when this situation doesn't work? Well, then uh, Mr. Pearl promises the wife, basically the martyr's crown. He suggests that, well, prepare to be a martyr. That would be the best thing you can do before God. (laughs) Does this really sound like what the Bible talks about as marriage? (sighs) Yeah, so... Uh, Mr. Pearl concludes by saying, quote, God hates divorce, always, forever, regardless, without exception, unquote. I think the Bible does mention an exception, but, you know, so this is a case of being more righteous than God here, I would think. But yeah, sure, God hates divorce, as we see in the Bible, but God hates abuse and violence, too. That's clearly spelled out in the Ten Commandments. Covering, lying, stealing, killing, and violence are in the Ten Commandments as much as committing adultery or being unfaithful in marriage. Abuse and violence will soil and violate God's institution of marriage at least as much as divorce does, wouldn't you think? So, sweetheart, do you agree with Mr. Pearl that 
God hates divorce always, forever, regardless, without exception. <laughs> no, you don't agree with that. <laughs> but, uh, the Bible doesn't either. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, because, yes, we see evidence otherwise in the scripture that God does allow for a divorce in certain situations. And, yeah, it's just a little bit scary how... They have numerous accounts in their book and articles about if you endure the mm. abusive situations that that's going to win you a crown or that's going to be for God's glory. Like if you stay in that situation or like there was one situation too where Debbie Pearl encourages a young mom who was being routinely beaten by her husband mm. and even threatened with a knife that he was going to kill her. Debbie says to not quote, blab about his sins, unquote, and win him back by showing him more respect. <laughs> win him back. And the wisest way to handle the aggressive husband is not by taking personal offense. Avoid provoking him. Yikes. <laughs> so if your husband is coming at you with a knife saying he's going to kill you, the best way is just to try and win him back and not say anything as to provoke him. You know, uh, I I would just say to win uh, with a bigger knife. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So to Michael Pearl's statement that God hates divorce without exception, I mean, sure, Jesus in the situation where the disciples were asking, you know, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? And Jesus had to get on them with that from the other extreme. But he mentions from the hardness of your hearts, Moses granted a bill of divorcement, which you see in the law. God actually in his law granted the possibility of divorce. But Moses never granted marital abuse and violence. He granted a bill of divorcement for necessary causes, but he never granted marital abuse, which seems like the pearls grant marital abuse, but they don't grant a bill of divorcement. So why should we agree with them? It seems that Mr. Pearl got his priorities out of order from what the Bible says. And I think if we're going to be jealous for marriage, we should be jealous for God's definition of marriage, that it's a mystery concerning Christ and the church. And a husband coming at his wife with a knife, that breaks the picture. And I think that is a justification for Moses granting a bill of divorcement. The context of God hating divorce, where does that come from? That comes from Malachi 2.16. The context of God hating divorce is that he's condemning the priests there for acting violently toward their wife, covering it up and divorcing his wife for a new, more desirable wife. So Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Now, it's always the husband that puts away his wife in the, the way marriage was in the Bible. And we could talk about that when we talk about divorce in a later episode. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. So what it, this verse is talking about husbands the priests here dealing treacherously and violently with their wife and that is in the context of where god says that he hates divorce he hates putting away in violence of husbands toward their wives so <laughs> i think the pearls have everything upside down here so what do they have at the end uh, or in this article here? Michael Pearl says, quote, stick by him, referring to the wife, stick by him. You know, your husband that committed a horrible crime, but testify against him in court. Have him do about 10 to 20 years. And by the time he gets out, you will have raised the kids and you can be waiting for him with open arms of forgiveness and restitution, unquote. I almost don't know what to say to that. You know, how often is it going to be that a Christian wife, someone who would be the recipient of Debbie Pearl's advice, 
can safely and possibly wait with open loving arms for a husband who got out of jail being likely picked on by other men in the jail there for 10 20 years and how that would mess with his mind how he'd have further psychological issues how he would have the potential to be even more abusive and that he come home and everything will be lovely after that point (laughs) yeah i think that part is just so scary that they teach this and say that this is actually the biblical understanding of how husbands and wives are supposed to interact and that it's a sin on the woman's part if she acts in any way to protect herself or to protect her children. Hmm. And I think numerous times in Exodus, Deuteronomy, like when you're going through the law and there were acts of violence, people were stoned to death or they were Mm -hmm. killed right there for the violence. They weren't given this opportunity to go sit in jail and learn how to Mm, get away with murder next time. There really was no jail in the Bible and the law where God says that he hates divorce. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that nowadays, yeah, we have that jail time where maybe hopefully through prayer and stuff that the guy would potentially have a change of heart but that's not guaranteed and that's what it will take i think so many times the pearls are taking these issues that are heart issues Mm. that only god can change that heart of that man that man has to choose to fall on his knees and beg for god's forgiveness Mm. for what he has done that cannot be put on the woman and saying that it's her problem or her lack of whatever it's just totally against mm. the picture of marriage and just how God values the mystery of marriage and representing Jesus Christ in the church. And I think that this book totally mm. ruins what that picture is supposed yes. to display. <laughs> this is not an example of marriage as a mystery picturing Christ in his church. <laughs> so wrapping up this long episode and concluding the series on covering created to be his helpmeet. So, final verdict here. Um, is this created to be his helpmeet or created to be his doormat? And somehow, in the process of being a husband's doormat, the wife seems to have this unspoken underlying power to control her husband through her, not her words, but her actions and Yeah, I say that this book is not helpful, is very unbiblical, it can lead to abusive marriage situations. And I would say that, well, if I'm going to take the pearls at their word that the wife should submit to her husband, well then, sweetheart, I'm telling you, submit to me and don't follow their advice. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Yes. Nice. (laughs) I hope that you could submit to me in this way, sweetheart. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I see. To me, that's kind of the fun part about going through this book and just talking it through with you and just learning more about what people say or like okay what does god's word say what do we think like it's just interesting to have these discussions and even though this is a sickening book to (laughs) have to (laughs) go through it's just it is helpful and like Mm -hmm. being able to talk through some of these things (laughs) but one last thing that i forgot about what they said in there that was really disturbing okay at the end (laughs) I'm just going to have to summarize it because I can't pick oh. <laughs> out the page at the moment. Okay. Um, But basically that the husband has the authority mm. to tell the woman what to say, oh, yeah. where to go, when, what to wear. Yeah. When not to talk, when she can talk, when she can't talk. Yes. Who, who she can talk to. Oh, yes. It was an mm. extensive list there that I was rather shocked by like almost like she doesn't have her own individuality she's like his property he's yeah. like his pet dog or something yeah uh, but yeah. then he expects her to do different things that would require her to have that independence i don't know it's <laughs> yeah. just 
It's crazy. Mm. Yes, and I agree. <laughs> As a husband, I agree with you, sweetheart. Thank you. Yes. This <laughs> I is why I love you. <laughs> I grant you the freedom not to be under my thumb in this way, not be my doormat. You know, you can be a biblical help me to me in ways that the pearls do not explain in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I hope you profited from our discussion of this book and... I would say this book doesn't deserve the Christian's respect. If you get it, if someone advised you to get it and you read it, if you listen to these episodes, we highly advise, if you don't keep it for reference on what not to do or whatever, toss it in the garbage, burn it. <laughs> it is not biblical. You know, (laughs) I cannot advise strongly enough that you treat this book as unbiblical, unhelpful, dangerous. Yes, I said it. It is dangerous. (laughs) Do not trust the pearls to give marriage advice. And especially this book, it puts wives in bondage. It treats husbands like animals and kings and their wives as subjects. It is unhelpful. And uh, I hope that you uh, were blessed by our coverage and review of Created to Be His Helpmeet by Debbie Pearl. So stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Spresso. Thank you for waking up with Truth Spresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 